officials deny the charges. Civil sources in the northeast say towns and main roads are heavily guarded by armed forces and the area is tense. The public is finding it very difficult to go about their daily business and most of them are remaining indoors out of fear. For Free Speech Radio News, I am Ponnaya Manikavasagam from Maunia, Sri Lanka. Hundreds of thousands of workers in Indonesia marched in cities throughout the country rejecting a new labor law that abolishes many basic worker rights. The new draft has provoked massive protests over the past two months, but the government and business associations continue to support the draft labor law. From Jakarta, FSRN's Maggie Margiona reports. In Jakarta, 100,000 workers marched to the presidential palace. They reject a new labor law draft prepared by the government. The World Bank advised the Indonesian government to renew its labor laws in order to increase investment in Indonesia to help shore up an economy on the decline since 1997. Amiruddin, a worker in Jakarta, says the draft labor law hurts workers by getting rid of many basic labor rights, including compensation for workers who've been fired. He says even though the existing labor law is not ideal, it is still better than the new draft. Workers whose salary is above 100 U.S. dollars a month will not get any compensation if they are fired, while compensation will be a maximum of seven times their salary. According to Masrianto, who sits on the board for the Congress of Indonesian Trade Union Alliance, the new labor law ends labor protections. The labor law revision will abolish the government's role in industrial relations and do away with many workers' rights. For example, there won't be restrictions for contracted labor. The maximum contract is five years long and may be prolonged for another five years. There will be no job security. Employers can outsource employees for all kinds of jobs. Legal experts say the new labor proposal is a product of the liberalization of the global economy. Asvin Awadi, a lawyer with Legal Aid of Jakarta, says the new labor law aimed to drive flexibility of the labor market. She says the labor market flexibility means minimum legal protections for workers. Most companies employ outsourced workers. That means the company tends to employ temporary employees, not permanent staff. Outsourcing is a global trend that makes the labor market flexible, so industrial relations become unburdened. The Indonesian government argues that the new labor draft is aimed to increase the investment in Indonesia, as restrictive legal protections for workers has made foreign investors place their capital abroad in countries such as Vietnam and China. However, according to the research made by the Government Development Agency, labor protection is one of the top seven causes of the decreased investment in Indonesia. The main causes, according to the agency, are corruption, bureaucratic government, and less law enforcement. Reading for Meggie Margiono in Jakarta, this is Eric Klein for Free Speech Radio News. You've been listening to Free Speech Radio News. I'm Aura Bogado.
This is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday, the 2nd of May, 2006. From KPFK in L.A., I'm out abogado. On today's newscast, we'll hear from Sri Lanka, which appears to be sliding back towards civil war amid a stalled peace deal. John Bolton testifies before the House of Representatives, deflecting claims that the U.S. is on a path to military action against Iran. And over one and a half million people participate in marches, rallies, and boycotts across the U.S. for immigrant rights. We'll bring you these stories and more after the headlines. I'm Shannon Young with the Free Speech Radio News Headlines. The government of Puerto Rico has shut down many of its non-emergency public services due to a budget crisis. Some 100,000 government employees are temporarily out of work, and an estimated half a million students have been unable to attend classes at public schools since the shutdown began yesterday. The impasse at the root of the fiscal crisis stems from... Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four... Castles may tumble, that's made after all Life's really funny that way Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back See what it sounds like, hey, hey They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard And I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. <clears throat> uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN, FM, and Ava. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's you know? on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. Thought you left behind in a past life. 
Listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. This is Miranda, and you just heard a song called "Feathers" by Man Man. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties right now, but closets are for clothes should be up in just a couple minutes. Right now, here's a song by Susumu Yokota. Please stay tuned.
we're on um, or else we're going to have absolute dead silence out there so um, welcome this is closets ever close and I actually do see me um, the light the the things are going so I think we are actually on the air holy moly so you're listening to closets ever close on WCBN FM Ann Arbor and we are um, it's it's uh, I am probably the one regular co-host that we usually have Dan Burns uh, Meredith is not feeling well tonight and Christy Cardinal is in the process of having a baby so actually Danielle her partner is having the baby but Christy is there coaching her on and wishing her well and so and she said if uh, anything happens during the show she'll give us a call and that will be very interesting because I don't know how to hook the phone up so we may just hear the phone ring <laughs> so this is going to be a fly by the seat of my pants um, so 
and I, I got gotcha. you. So, um, but I am joined by the um, infamous and wonderful Jay Sennett, who's going to be helping me co-host this evening. Thanks for uh, absolutely filling in so last minute here. Yep. Um, and then we also have uh, Kevin from the University of Michigan's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Affairs Office. Um, and we are actually, I'm going to just like jump in and actually talk about um, our topic tonight. I Normally we start off with like, hey, how are you? But right. um, we'll maybe do that a little, a little later. short on time tonight. That's right. Exactly. Um, so, and being that, you know, this is between the semester break, this you know, happens with WCBN often where students are leaving and it's like, oh yeah, we have a radio station. So we got to keep going. So um, we're going to be uh, an interesting evening this uh, tonight. So, um, so Kevin, welcome to Closets Over Clothes. I think this is, you've been here a couple times. This is my second time. Yes. Second thank you. Second time. Holy moly. And he still came back. Home. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the reasons why I brought um, uh, Kevin here is that they have um, the University of Michigan LGBTA office is actually going to be having a training that's coming up, um, and um, I think it's good. The applications are due May 10th, or yes, May 10th, and then the um, uh, the training actually happens um, later in the month of May, and mm-hmm. Kevin will probably go into that a little later. Sure. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk about what it's like to be an ally, um, and more than just saying, you know, oh yeah, my best friend's uh, my best friend is gay, or um, oh yeah, I watch Will and Grace a lot. Um, that that makes you an automatic ally, and I wanted to. Kind and so we're going to talk actually about like the different stages of being an ally. Um, but um, Kevin, so if, if people are interested in um, applying for this, they're already interested, where would they go to apply for this? It's really easy, Dan. You can just go to our website, which is www.umich.edu slash tilde LGBTA. Gotcha. And there's a link right there called Ally Training Program on the front page. And just click on the link, and it has all the information that you need. And just so you know, the dates are coming up May 18th, 19th, the 25th and 26th, and then also in June, the 15th and 22nd. Now, do they have to attend all six of those nights, or are those three different trainings? Nope. They only have to attend two of them. So there's a number one session and a number two session, which must be completed in sequence. And they're four hours each, eight hours total. Gotcha. Okay. So this is this is quite the in-depth ally. Mm-hmm. Goodness, this is, is great. Yeah. So wh- how does one qualify to be an ally? Anyone can be an ally, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing special. All it takes is a commitment and a realization that LGBT people are humans and deserving of the same rights that everyone else gets and a willingness to stand up for those rights. And there are many different ways you can become an ally and many things you can do to show your allyhood. And the Ally Program is about training you how to do that. Great. Wow. And, um, and how did people come up with this idea of, of doing an ally training? Well, I think um, if you look at the statistics that people show out there for how many LGBT people there are in the world, um, they vary from 3, 5 to 10 percent. So just looking at those and thinking about all the discrimination and oppression that LGBT people face, I think somewhere along the lines, people said, hey, we need some help. (laughs) Um, And there were some allies who also noticed that there's some injustices out there, and they decided that they want to sort of speak out for it. And I think that's how the concept of ally- allyhood 
got started. Gotcha. Terrific. Wow. And then there seems to be apparently a need in our community to have allies to be speaking up for folks. And so please definitely um, go for this, uh, apply for this training and, and attend. So one of the things that I was talking to you earlier, Kevin, about this, I'm like, what are we, what are we going to talk about tonight? And, um, and we were talking about there are several different stages. And so I thought, like, at first, if you could just, like, list all five, and then we can get into more depth of each one and break each one down. I'd be happy to. So the first stage is, and this is, these are the stages of ally identity development. Okay. And the first stage is pre-contact non-identification. The second stage is contact and retreat, followed by internal identification, then situational external identification, and external identification. And before we go into them, I just want to sort of put a disclaimer out there that not all people go through all these stages, and these stages don't apply to everyone, but they're sort of a generalized concept of a process that, people, that many people do go through in developing an identity as an ally. Could you say maybe that, that some of them maybe go through them much quicker, but even though they may touch on a few? Because when we were talking about some of them earlier, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I did go through that even in my own coming out, um, if you will. But at the same time, it was one of those, um, I guess I took it one step further and said, you know, I identify so much with that community. I think I'm more than an ally. Um, but, uh, That's great, um, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kudos but, to you. <laughs> Um, but maybe you can, but people, some people go through them very quickly. And, and sure, and everyone has their own timeline. Right, there is no standard. You know, some people it could be a matter of weeks, or some it's years. Okay. So the the first one. Um, so the, you said that was the pre-contemplative or pre-contact non-identification. Pre-contact. Yes. So now, what what exactly does that state? What is that stage? That's basically a stage where someone has an awareness of sexual orientations that are different than heterosexual. Uh, most likely through movies, books, or media coverage, but has not really met anyone, at least that, that has openly identified as LGB or T. Um, and in that stage, people tend to think that heterosexuality is the norm and also better than any other sexuality that's out there. And that was the part that I thought was really interesting, that, that they feel that they're better. I mean, I thought that was kind of like, what? why? Better in the sense of, I feel sorry for gays and lesbians i think better in the sense like some people will say well this this is how it is by by god's law or something like that or by nature this is biologically how people should be oh so it it truly is of this is my very first even thought of or even being introduced the idea that there's actually gay people out there or transgender people out there and that are it's almost like that realization when you as a kid where it's like oh yeah there's other people out there besides me you know or, right. mm-hmm. um or when we identify that not everybody has this or you have more parts than i do or right you know, as we go through right. as a kid of like wait a minute here um i don't want to say that that stage is very kid-like but but it's a very much an introduction well i think though the, developmentally that that stage is very immature ah I'd agree, yes. Really? Okay. So one can be 70 years old and still be at the first level of development and consequently would appear to us, I think, to be very immature, Mm. i.e. Fred Phelps. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yes. I think we would characterize that. I would characterize that as extremely immature behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, okay, comparatively to Fred Phelps in step two, Mm -hmm. what's step two? Well, again, that's called contact and retreat. 
So this is when someone does have... Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sounds like going to a disco. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when someone does have contact with an LGBT person, usually a family member or a coworker, and still has some thinking to do. So this is the first time when someone is face-to-face with an LGBT person, and they just start thinking, well, wait a minute, these people actually are human beings, and these could be my next-door neighbor, and so stuff like that. It becomes more real to them. But then they retreat. Right. So they, then, does that mean they fall back into sort of one, or they're stuck? Well, I think they go back into a sort of thinking mode. So, okay, I thought, I thought one thing, but now I am presented with someone who contradicts what I thought. Right. I think that's called cognitive dissonance. Exactly, yes. Okay, so what is cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance has more than one syllable, so I have a hard time. Is <laughs> when the pre- the reality that you're presented with contradicts a a, a staunchly held belief. Oh, so if okay. I think that gays are evil, okay. and then I meet you and I and I bond with you at some, you're level, awesome, Dan. Oh, thank you, thank you. Then I would I would have a an interrupt between my belief system and reality. Oh. And it's called cognitive dissonance. Which probably Fred Phelps, you're right. He's probably definitely in step one. The, he would not have gotten into step two, I would think. I don't see if he has. He's keeping it under wraps. Yeah, he has definitely retreated so far. He's probably a negative one. But anyway. Um, a, lot of, well, a lot of times, Dan, I mean, people can go backwards in the stage. So maybe he had some contact and then he used a specific lens that he has to interpret that situation and then still retreated back. No, gays are still evil. I don't care what I see. Right, right. So his view is distorted. Right. I mean, look at what he's doing with the soldiers that are killed in Iraq. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Wow. I mean, this is a guy who steadfastly refuses to accept reality. Mm-hmm. Even the collectively agreed upon reality that you and I, the three of right. us. Right, right. But, hmm, because I'm also trying to picture, like, for instance, like, so, like, people who watch, who feel like they're connected to the community because they watch Will and Grace every every week mm-hmm. um, or every night now that it's on, what you know, some other stations. But, I mean, they feel that they've actually, I mean, so they have that contact um, and and they haven't really quite retreated because they keep tuning in every every week, right? Um, or some people have always like tuned into our show that really want to retreat every time they hear us talk. But anyway, um, so the um, how is that compared to like to stage three? Well, stage three is internal identification. So that is a stage where someone starts developing an identity as an ally, but they don't do it publicly. So they realize that LGBT people do deserve equal treatment and fair rights, but they're not willing to maybe stand up publicly and and go protest or something like that. Which I think probably would be the majority, wouldn't you think? I would say so. Depends on which state you're in. Good point. Oh, I see. Yeah. So if you're like in Manhattan. Well, if you're George Bush, <laughs> that would be a no. Right, right. That's true. So that... Hence the phrase bushwhacked. Uh, th- yeah. <laughs> But I'm pumped. Yes. Yes. But there's, um, um, so I see. So if they're turning into, tuning into Will and Grace every week, um, cause I'm just, I'm just trying to picture various people in my mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. where would they fit? Um, you know, like my sister who is very pro, um, uh, very accepting of me, very, in fact, has, has done, you know, she feels connected because she can talk to the various programs of In the Life, Will and Grace, um, 
I'm trying to think of other gay shows that are on, um, that she feels very connected to our community, but yet doesn't quite, I think I'm like the only person she knows. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it reminds, Urvashi Vod wrote a book called Virtual Equality, and I think that I would place people who watch Will and Grace somewhere between two and three. I don't necessarily, I wonder if a person can truly have an internalized identification with a gay or lesbian person from watching a television show. Okay. Because okay. you're it, they have to deal with a real person and if you say, "Oh, I want to I want legal marriage for gays and lesbians." Mm-hmm. That's not what's being promoted on Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's perpetually without a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. I think someone else who might be in between stages 2 and 3 might be someone who recognizes this discrimination out there but might think, "Well, that's not my problem because I'm not LGBT." Ah, okay, okay. Or I have nothing against homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Right. So I personally don't feel... But they may not go to the voting booth, and like when Proposal 2 happened, would still vote yes. Proposal 2 is a good thing, even though they have that... I, I Even though they... Well, or not vote at all. Or not vote at all, or oh, they draw okay. the line at marriage. I mean, I think Got it. some polls are showing that while... Majority, whatever that means, right. uh, supports anti-discrimination legislation. They draw the line at marriage. They gotcha. get the, it's the you know the ick factor. Okay, because they think about sex. I think that's where immediately a lot of people's minds go mm-hmm. when they think gay marriage. They that's think right. two men, and it's really men having sex, mm-hmm. and so that creeps them out because mm-hmm. it's still a very immature place to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if Fred Phelps is five, I would say these people are probably 11 or 12, so they're getting the ick factor, and they go, no. Right, right. Cooties. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. It's kind of a little off the topic, but there was a study that I saw recently where people were asked, do they support heterosexuals raising children? And a large percentage said no. And it kind of kind of reflected on how important language is because when you have that sex word in there right. it immediately causes this visceral reaction in people so that's why it's important to say things like gay lesbian not maybe homosexual that's what the transsexual problem is yes. you have to come up with a new word and a television show uh, uh, yes. exactly <laughs> and all your problems will be solved <laughs> exactly we too will have virtual equality <laughs> Oh, gosh, I'm just, all the different things I could think of are the different ones. Well, and transgender is a no-win word because that gender feminism, not so much. Ah, you know. okay, gotcha. Wow. So, and I do find that a lot, like, for instance, even when I'm, cause when I do, like, HIV testing or STD testing or SDI testing, now is the new word, um, it, it's, it's like, no, I'm not a heterosexual, um, I, I'm a guy that sleeps with women. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're absolutely right that I'm, I'm hearing that a lot. So now we have to really use the very um, common names, I guess, as, not so scientific. Right. right. Well, there was, uh, I don't know if any of you probably are too young to remember this, The Candid Camera with Alan Fun. It was oh, a yeah. television show. Oh, yeah. I remember show. that, yes. Okay. Well, he used to periodically do a segment where they would hold up words on a board and ask people to pick out the dirty words, and none of them were actually dirty, but people, you know, words like masticate and titillate would invariably be chosen ah. as dirty words. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That, w- that would be very interesting, yeah. Huh. Now, with stage three, when you're identifying, you're, be- you're, inter- you're 
interacting or what was the what was the stage stage three? So it's all internal. It's internal, and you're IDing with them. So you're not saying that they they ID with them like, oh yes, I am gay, or oh yes, I am um, a lesbian or a transgender. No, it's, you're you're thinking like I I'm identifying as that I can see where what we have in common. Correct. Okay, even though I know what my identity is, um, I know that even though it's not who I am, I can see what we have in common. Exactly, yeah. There's a, a common stereotype that all allies are just LGBT people who haven't come out yet, and that really isn't true. I mean, I know a lot of allies, and they are all very confident and secure in their yes. straight sexuality. Yes. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, even in the – I think there was a study done with um, – well, I guess I can say that stuff on the air because it actually goes into some sexual parts. But, yes, that they found that those who were actually having the most homophobic were actually aroused by um, – gay porn and so it was, right. very, it was very interesting because um, i was actually going to go into the study and actually tell you what they did but i won't <laughs> we're <laughs> going to get the pg version yeah so i was trying to yes in case we have um you know those under 40 listening so <laughs> <laughs> those between the developmental stages of one and two yeah. listening <laughs> right so wow okay so um and that's I, okay then compared to stage four Yes, yeah, stage four is situational external identification. So this is when someone will start outwardly affirming LGBT people, but only in situations that are low risk. Low risk. Okay. So they're not going to get any backlash or... Right. Okay. And it, so that's like, for instance, when they actually do like like start saying something like at work um, or when it's a, it's a safe time or like, well, they'll... Like what we always say about the fag hags, you know, mm-hmm. that they hang out with the gay guys or whatever or go to the gay bars with us. That's a good example, yes. Oh, that would be a better example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where there isn't any really harm coming to them. Right. Um, or, or I, I was thinking of affirming a gay or lesbian person in a job place. Okay. Sort of in the staff lounge or around the water cooler. Okay. That's pretty low risk. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I always love those folks that actually do come up to you and whisper you know, like, I, I know you're gay, you know? And I'm like, well, <laughs> well, thanks. A lot of people here do know. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad somebody told me. Yeah, right? yeah. That's what's been going on all these years. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and so, and what helps people move from the, from these stages? I mean, what helps them to start moving from they're not doing any type of they're just IDing going okay yeah that's a good idea keeping it internal not really outwardly quote unquote coming out with mm-hmm. this this concept to all of a sudden now they have the guts to actually say something um I mean what helps them to move from the, through these stages I know we have one more stage to talk about yes but I think it's a lot of it is time I think it's really important when they meet someone who is LGBT or T I think that really can change their perspective um, I know for my family, they used to be very homophobic, and then I came out, and they made a complete switch. Wow. Um, so I think when it's someone you love and know and care about, that can really change how you think. Gotcha. And and actually can put a picture, like when Jerry Falwell says that the average number of partners a gay man has is like 572 or something like this, and they can picture Dan and go... I don't know that you know. I don't think he gets those numbers, so. <laughs> you know, or um, you know that they don't. They like no, that really isn't the person that I know of. I mean, I, I guess they they can start separating, like what what's truth, what's not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also at the same time being able, I mean, I think that's a big shift. I mean, just like I knew I was gay for a long period of time before I started telling people and, and there, there had to have been a shift that it was more dangerous for me to stay in the closet than for me to start telling people. And so I, I wonder what the, what the danger is or what is it that, that makes it so uncomfortable Maybe that is just more exciting. What's more exciting? More exciting to be able to say, oh, I know somebody, and then actually start sharing that internal feeling that you have with another person. Well, I think there there definitely is some modeling that goes on. So as people see other people who are allies, um, they see that, well, it's okay for me to be an ally too. And so they start becoming an ally. And trying it out. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Hmm. Compared to stage five, that is when... Now we have full external identification. Someone has pride in their identity as an ally and really displays that publicly. They might have an ally sticker. They might join an organization like PFLAG, which is parents and friends of lesbians and gays. A lot more vocal and open with their allyhood. Gotcha. So where they're moving from situational, from things that are random... To actually, now they're going out and actually, in a sense, promoting, if you will. Yes. And going out and being, like we were talking about earlier, being that P-flag mom mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, um, tells everybody at work, you know, my, my son or daughter is gay, you know, um, and very proud of the fact. Sure. So, because I am, I am fascinated with, like, how they do move from one stage to the next. I mean, how, I mean, because I see that at PFLAG a lot, where they come in, they're like, I can't believe what just happened to me. My child just, you know, told me the news. Um, mm-hmm. Or, and I want to, and sometimes even show up to say, and I want to know how I need to change them. You know, change them back mm-hmm. to what I knew them as. Well, I think that people, that's not so surprising to me, because there's already some level of investment mm-hmm. with a parent or a sibling dealing with someone in their life that's gay or lesbian. What I find more fascinating are people that have no investment at all, mm-hmm. who through their own process of approximate experiences, you know, maybe they're a man of color and they come to understand that the oppression that a white gay man has experienced, while it's not the same, mm-hmm. it's coming from the same source. Those people fascinate me even more because they're making these decisions without the input from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and they really are right. They're an real. island on the uh, among right. themselves, yeah. And getting it in many, and getting the backlash in many different ways. And I think it, it, what I wonder is to get to level five is how much a person is capable of putting themselves outside the system that's constructing them as they're stepping outside of it. I mean, if you think about parallel experiences with race, there's actually a tremendous backlash that can occur when a white person comes out as anti-racist because we're no longer participating in the system that's creating us. And so to be a full-fledged ally, LGBT ally, one in essence is saying no to sort of a heterosexual heteronormativity as a system. And that can have real consequences. It sure can. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're then at, that person is then at risk for death, being fired, you know, all the same things. And that's a scary proposition. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you're affecting their livelihood. Right. You're affecting what you know their family. Um, you know, being able to support themselves. Right. I mean, and it's it almost requires an ability for however brief a time to 
sort of step into that place. And maybe that's where the situational, like step four, being in a situation where you do step out every once in a while and then you retreat and you go back mm-hmm. into your world and you realize, you know, I survived that. So let me try it one more time. Right. And the more frequently you go out and do it, you get that affirmation um, or that good feeling of saying, you know what, it wasn't that bad. It was worth it to go out there that I'm willing to then go to like the pride marches mm-hmm. and do bigger events rather than just at work. Well, and I think that that's a, a, a telling difference between four and five, because what I'm thinking about are the people when you get to five, when you have those really awful experiences and you go back and do it anyway, because you know that for yourself, it's the right thing to do. I think mm-hmm. even though it's situationally always focused on being an ally, I think at that point, it actually becomes what the person wants to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's no longer about, oh, I'm going to do this for you, mm-hmm. but I need to do this for myself. I think it's a great point, and kind of going back to what you said about people who don't have a family member who is LGBT, who might not have an investment, I think the key is realizing that they do have an investment. Right, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. That, like Martin Luther King says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, mm-hmm. and realizing how this can impact them. Um, there was a great example the other day with a friend of mine. He is a straight man, and he was engaged with a woman and they were raising a little girl and he wasn't the birth father um, and they wound up breaking up and now he has lost contact with the the girl because his ex is blocking him from spending time with her. So that's an example of if there were second parent adoption, he might be able to have more of a legal right to to see the girl. Right. I mean, and and being a part of that, I mean, that's happened in a couple of situations even where... Um, I know of where the, they, they knew the child from birth and then the, the couple broke up when they were like 15 or when the right. child was 15 or 16. I mean, they were there through all the rough mm-hmm. times and then suddenly now they have no contact with them, you know, for those last two years before they go off to college. And that's a, that could be, that's a pretty rough time. I, I've seen many people go through that, but you're right. Um, and breaking in, and breaking the system. One of the things that you did now with this going through these different stages or whatever. Now yes. in this training, are you going to be able to go through all these? So will you start off in part one and your stage. You're probably already at stage three, but and then at the t- at, by the time you're done, you're going to be stage five. Hopefully, or... <laughs> <laughs> all in eight hours. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I would say the people that go through the training are probably more already in stage four or five. Right. They're ready to publicly identify, and they want to learn how they can do that. Gotcha. And do they get this, like, certificate that says, now I am truly the ally, or do they get a T-shirt? or You do get a, a special, unique University of Michigan ally logo that you can use to display on your office door or on your book pack. Or, oh, I was kidding. You really anywhere. do. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> I was like being facetious. So well, you really do get a little like, symbol that says, yes, I, I've been through this. And Yeah, because one of the important things we say is allyhood should be visible. Mm-hmm. And so how do you know someone is an ally unless they visibly show it? You don't, gotcha. really. Yeah. So it's important to have something that you can put up to designate that you are an ally. And, I, you know, to be honest with you, that is... Okay, I'm being really nitpicky. Yes. But, um, and I'm hoping, and and you guys probably have already had it all planned out and bought all the material, but I hope it's not just another rainbow flag. No, it's really nice. Oh, okay. Because, we had a contest and everything. Oh, fantastic. Good. Because, I mean, because I've seen that in various establishments and things like this, and they have the flag upside down. 
And then I'm like, and and I know this is a really, or they have it sideways, so mm-hmm. it's like it's like straight, like the bars are straight up and down, not across. Mm-hmm. And I know this is very picky, and I really appreciate the fact that they are putting the flag outside their their establishment or or their door to their office or something like this to kind of give that signal. But I I know it's very picky, but if you don't have the flag in the proper way, I feel like, are you truly an ally? That's a good point. Because you really don't know, because I've had people say, oh yeah, it's the right thing to do. And so they're in stage, you know, three, moving to four, so they're in it, so that situations may be coming up and they've got the flag out there because it is the right thing to do. And But then when I actually go in and actually start talking to them about being gay, they have really no clue. Of what my experience is, right? You know that you know no that that or they really have no idea why or how to help me, mm-hmm. and and that's why I really yeah that they really don't understand the this this what what is happening and and um as I'm going through like proposal two was a big example where um, there were some folks um, in the office that had the had the the signs up and everything like this and then when I was sad or or wasn't as energetic the next day after the election because we had lost um they didn't understand and it was like interesting wait a minute here you you have the flag out there you ha- you 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 announce that you're an ally of mine but yet you don't understand why i'm sad or depressed or i'm upset or and i and and that was where the big clue to me was when I, when i started looking at the different doors that they also didn't put the flag up correctly. Mm-hmm. It's like they they knew it was the right thing, but they really didn't invest or investigate in me. What's the proper way to do this? You know, it's like if they had the, the another flag upside down, like the United States flag, it would be like, wait a minute here, what's really going on? And I know I'm being very petty, but it was a real, it was something that's kind of happened to me of like, you know, I really wish you would have gone through some type of a training to kind of, so when I do talk about the various things, and I know I expect them to be the, the stereotypical P flag mom and wears rainbow every day and, oh, and always has a picture of their sons, you know, and, and their, our daughter and their, and her partner or whatever. I mean, and you know a, a wall size mural or anything like that but i mean it's one of those uh you know i, I don't expect that but mm-hmm. I, just the the little things so i'm really kind of happy that there is a a sign well, that and it's it's a challenge too because we all have a different idea of what we think an ally should be doing yes. right mm-hmm. and i can have the nifty ally sticker on my door and still act like a clown right, right. by your standards yeah yeah and that's the challenge, I think, with allies is that while it might seem real dumb to me or clownish what they're doing, that may be the most revolutionary thing they've done their entire life. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the flag anyway. Well, I understand. You know, yeah. I mean, I hear what you're <laughs> we saying. I mean, we, we yeah. had this conversation yeah. about the flag. Although I did find out that the I got a manuscript from the guy who invented the gay flag and he wow. did it at the behest of Harvey Milk. Wow. Yes. Goodness. Gilbert uh, Baker from San Francisco. Yep. Wow. And yeah, and I heard there was actually seven colors, but not the five that we have. And the reason why it went down to five was because the different there were two colors that they couldn't get made or it was too expensive to make. And so they narrowed it down to five. But six, we'll have, Dan. There's six of them? Yes. Roy G. But really? Okay. Goodness gracious. See, I'm not. See, now what kind of an ally am I? Look at you, Dan. What, what, you're not, what you're kind of an ally am I? You're not even gay anymore, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> you lose your gay card. Yeah. Exactly. Revoked. But I think that that's a good point. I mean, I think that's interesting because I, as much as I, I think I'm a strong ally with um, other parts of my community, um, I, I do feel that I do fumble when it comes to um, bisexual or transgender um, issues that I it, because it's not a part of my psyche all the time um, that I do sometimes forget those those two letters of the LGBT mm-hmm. uh, and 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 so I, I do questions um, so by taking this training would I be like totally like knowledgeable and certified or the training is only a start Dan ah, um, okay. so to be fair to your coworkers. No one is really truly an, an expert on all things LGBT, gotcha. and going through the Ally program won't make you an expert, but it's a great start on your journey to gotcha. bettering yourself. And we all have stuff that we can work on. Just um, a couple of weeks ago, I read a book about children of gay parents, and that was a population that I really didn't know much about. And so I read this book, and it really enlightened me and informed me. And so that was a way that I sort of bettered myself as an ally. Gotcha. Um, and I will say that also to remind people that our ally program is open to people who are LGBT too, because just like you said, just because you're gay doesn't mean you're going to be an ally to trans people or to bi people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, the, and there was one segment that you do have, or or a uh, a lesson that you have on learning about the different. Um, uh, the different verbiage that we have yes. or the, the, the dictionary of terms that we use. Um, so it's more familiar with all the things that we're having. One of the things that you also brought was the, uh, an ally's promise. Um, I did. And uh, do, do you want to read it? I can. Okay. If you'll share it with me. It's kind of long. Okay. Yeah, I'll be glad to. How about, um, it's a four parts and, um, and we'll do whatever you do the first part. I'll do the second part and we'll just do third, fourth. Do you, do you want to read part of this? Jay? Sure. Okay, so then we'll we'll start and end with you, Kevin. How's that? Sounds good. All right. So this is an, an Allies Promise, which is a poem written by Anthony D'Angelo, and it captures the spirit and the essence of what being an ally is. So it starts, I believe. I believe success is the freedom to be yourself. I believe nobody is wrong. They are only different. I believe your circumstances don't define you. Rather, they reveal you. I believe without a sense of caring, there can be no sense of community. I believe our minds are like parachutes. They can only work if they are open. I believe we only live life once, but if we live it right, one time is all we need. I believe we must first get along with ourselves before we can get along with others. I will. I will seek to understand you. I will label bottles, not people. I will grow antennas, not horns. I will see the diversity of our commonality. I will see the commonality of our diversity. I will get to know who you are rather than what you are. I will transcend political correctness and strive for human righteousness. I challenge you. I challenge you to honor who you are. I challenge you to enjoy your life rather than endure it. I challenge you to create the status quo rather than merely accept it. I challenge you to live in your imagination more than your memory. I challenge you to live your life as a revolution and not just a process of evolution. I challenge you to ignore other people's ignorance so that you may discover your own wisdom. And I promise you, I promise to do my part. 
I promise to stand beside you. I promise to interrupt the world when its thinking becomes ignorant. I promise to believe in you, even when you have lost faith in yourself. I am here for you. And just so you know, these we have postcards with this poem available in our office for 50 cents each. And they're really nice and they're great to put up on your door. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I'll make sure I put it on correctly so it's the right side up. Yeah. Yes. Always good to do. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin, for doing this. This is great. So thank when you. is it again? Thanks so they for having can, me. Uh, they go to uh, umich.edu slash tilde L-G-B-T-A. And then on the website, there is a spot to be able to apply um, for the these training workshops. Yes, center of the front page. Can't miss it. Oh, perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and definitely attend some of these trainings. I think that even if you attend just one of them, I think it would be helpful just to kind of um, have these conversations in our mm-hmm. community. And especially with June coming, there's going to be lots of uh, opportunity, I believe, of uh, showing your allyship and and challenging yourself to be uh, that, that wonderful ally. So thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, keep up the good work over there. You guys are, are amazing. We do what we can. Yeah, you, and you do. That's for sure. Goodness. So, Jay. Um, normal- yes, sir. <laughs> um, so normally this is where we'd have a musical interlude kind of thing, but... Um, um, I don't know how to do that quite yet. So, okay. Um, well, I'm wondering if the next show is going to be here on time because it's uh, eight minutes to seven and nobody's here. So we may yes, be chatting on. That's right. Exactly. So, um, so one of the things, and um, and I, I don't want to scare you away, Kevin. You're welcome to join us, or you're welcome. If you got other things, you're welcome to. Uh, um, uh, you're welcome to stay if you want. <laughs> I would love to stay, Dan, and I thank you for that offer. But I'm going to be an ally to Hark tonight, the HIV AIDS ah. Resource Center, and go to their fundraising dinner that they're having at <gasps> Zingerman. Very nice. I was wondering why you were all dressed up. I was like, yes, good. That's the reason. Kevin's looking sharp. And where is the um, uh, event tonight? It's at Zingerman's Roadhouse. <gasps> Fantastic place. That's nice. Could be good eating. That's mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Well, speaking of, um, well, I guess it's not really good eating, but it's um, um, I, I, old news that came out, oh, probably about a month ago that I... Very finally, old. Yes, exactly. Um, where ABBA donates to Polish gays. Um, the member of the, the members of the retired Swedish pop group, ABBA, have signed memorabilia together for the first time in a decade to support Poland's beleaguered gay movement. Um, the members have contributed autographed posters, photographs, Photos and a CD to an eBay um, auction staged by Stockholm Pride. Money raised by the sale will go to Warsaw's Gay Pride organization, uh, and I'm going to th- really butcher this, but I think it's Fiducha Aronowski. Um, it's F U N D A C J A, and then R O W N O S C I. So I'm like, mm, okay, okay, uh, Irish boy. <laughs> um, it is it is impossible for a pride event organizer in a privileged neighboring country not to assist in the situation that is now existing in Poland," said Stockholm Pride Chairman Ulrika. Westerland. The, these objects are very rare since ABBA doesn't exist anymore, which I challenge. But anyway, and don't have that much to do with each other, she added. Uh, top Polish politicians, including President uh, Lech Kaczynski, I think is the name, is how you say it, ruling law and justice party leader, um, Jaroslaw Kaczynski and Prime Minister Kazmierz uh, Marcin Kiewicz, um have made several moves to block the advancement of gay equality. When we, when he was 
mayor of Warsaw, President Kaczynski banned gay pride in 2004 and 2005, saying he was against propagating gay orientation. He called the planned parade sexually obscene and reportedly refused to meet with the pride organizers, saying, I am not willing to meet perverts. Some 2,500 GLBTs marched last year anyway. Around 300 anti-gay protesters hurled eggs and shouted slurs at them. Ten people were arrested and three were injured, including a policeman. I wonder if he was marching. But anyway, okay. Um, Gay Pride also was banned last year in the city of Poznan by Mayor Rajard Grabelny. Um, An impromptu march took place nonetheless, and and 75 marchers were arrested. Courts later refused to proceed with criminal proceedings against them. And um, and that's one of the things I used to love about um, Gay Pride is that they used to always have a police presence, um, or some city official, um, a city officials helping with the with the organizing or with the filing of people and things like this. And I always just loved going up to them and says, "Thanks for coming out today." I always just love that little joke I used to do with people. But um, I don't think they'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I what I want to know is Poland not a member of the European Union. Because that's one of the fundamentals oh. for a country to join the European Union is they have to have a fairly decent record of human oh. rights for gays and lesbians. And that was a point of contention for Serbia because they've been striving to join and have been unable to because their record is down in the toilet. Interesting. That might be – oh, that would be a good question because I, I don't know if Poland is part of uh... – Well, it's an interesting bargaining chip because – a lot of the poorer countries in the European Union want to join for the economic benefits, and the wealthy countries in the European Union are holding them hostage, saying you can until you improve rights, human rights, pre- right. predominantly. Exactly. And so I, I, I don't know if they are or not. That would be my yeah. That would be interesting to look up to see who's part of the European Union, and um, and see if because that would be an interesting. Why would they not want? Well, to? right, and if they were unable to. If the police ref- or judges refuse to hear the case, I don't know the details, then they would have recourse in the European Court of Law, right. the European Union Court of Law, I, I believe. Exactly. As uh-huh. a citizen of the European Union. Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Wow. And then, um, wow, with two minutes to go, and I don't think we've seen anybody no, here No, no one's come in yet. So I guess this long story, I guess I'm going to be uh, reading. Not, so What is this one about? This one is the lessons of Iraq uh, of the Iraq War, starting with U.S. history. Um, and this is the one where, I was, um, um, where I've been hearing a lot lately where people are saying, you know, George Bush is lying to us, and, you know, how dare he do this? How dare a president lie to American us? American tradition. Well, and that's exactly it. And that's where it was, uh, somebody had sent this to me. Um, it's by Howard um, Zinn, and it's called. It's from the uh, a magazine called The Progressive. And this was actually on uh, Tuesday, March 14th of this year. Um, and it basically it says, on the third anniversary of President Bush's Iraq debacle, it's important to consider why the administration so easily fooled so many people into supporting the war. I believe there were there are two reasons which gr- uh, go deep into our national culture. One is an absence of historical perspective. The other is an inability to think outside the boundaries of nationalism. If we don't know history, then we are ready, um, we are ready meat for carnivorous politicians and the intellectuals and journalists who uh, supply the carving knives. But if not, uh, but if we now, 
if we know some history, uh, if we know how many times presidents have lied to us, we will not be fooled again. For instance, it gives several um, examples. Examples: President Polk lied to the nation about the reason for going to war with Mexico in 1846. It wasn't that Mexico quote-unquote, shed American blood upon the American soil, but that Polk and the slave-owning aristocracy coveted half of Mexico. President McKinley lied in 1898 about the reason for invading Cuba, saying he wanted to liberate the Cubans from Spanish control. But the truth is that he really wanted Spain out of Cuba so that the island could be open to uh, United Fruit and other American corporations. He also lied about the reasons for our war in the Philippines, claiming we only wanted to civilize the Filipinos, while the real reason was to own a valuable piece of real estate in the far Pacific, even if we had to kill hundreds of thousands of Filipinos to accomplish that. President Wilson lied about the reasons for entering the First World War, saying it was a war to make the world safe for democracy, when it was really a war to make the world safe for the rising American power. President Truman lied when he said the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima because it was a military target. And everyone lied about Vietnam. President Kennedy about the extent of our involvement. President Johnson about the Gulf of Tonkin. And President Nixon about the secret bombing of Cambodia. They all claimed the war was to keep South Vietnam free of communism, but really wanted to keep South Vietnam as an American outpost at the edge of the Asian continent. President Reagan lied about the invasion of Grenada, uh, claiming falsely that it was a threat to the United States. Hmm, I've heard that before. Uh, The elder Bush lied about the invasion of Panama leading to the death of thousands of ordinary citizens in that country and he lied again about the reason for attacking Iraq in 1991 hardly hardly to defend the integrity of Kuwait uh, rather to assert U.S. power in the oil-rich Middle East. There is no There is an even bigger lie, the arrogant idea that this country is the center of the universe, exceptionally virtuous, admirable, superior. If our starting point for for evaluating the world around us is the firm belief that this nation is somehow endowed by providence with the unique qualities that make it morally superior to every other nation on earth, then we are not likely to question the president when when he says we are sending our troops here and or there are bombing this or that in order to spread our values, democracy, liberty, and let's not forget free enterprise.